That's right, we're going to actually reverse what we normally do here on the review podcast. Because instead of saying that something that's out should be in the canon... Like we did for Wonder Woman. We're going to talk about how a brand new movie actually shows us how poor the American pop culture has been in a certain idea being in the canon before now. I hope that generations from now people will be watching the new Black Panther movie or something like it. But this cultural moment that we're enjoying where they are selling out of Saturday afternoon matinees for this African-American superhero story. You know, this is really a world away from what the superhero uh, genre has given to people for decades. And it's been a build-up. We'll talk about some of the other uh, attempts that really did not catch on. Uh, And I'm very excited that we're in this moment now where we have Luke Cage on Netflix and we have the Black Panther getting a major Hollywood treatment. But I'm going to spend this podcast talking about how long it took us to get here. Yeah. So we saw Black Panther last night and... We both enjoyed it a lot, but to get to Black Panther, you've got to have to know the history and why this is such a big deal to so many people, and it's because, I think, to put it in its simplest terms, this is not only a black superhero in a starring role, which has happened before, but this is also led by African-American creatives. This is driven by people behind the scenes who are African-American, who are treating the source material with the seriousness and the reverency that it deserves, that is what makes this different. It's not just in front of the camera, but also behind the camera. I think that makes a big difference. Yes, I do too. Uh, And the acting quality is fantastic. These are all people who have acted in other major Hollywood movies and gotten great reviews. I've seen a lot of those other movies and loved them. So, you know, these are not like we're discovering somebody. And it's also not Steel starring... Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, okay? there's a so big difference. There's between. a big difference between just grabbing somebody like Shaquille O'Neal and putting them in front of the camera. I mean, that's it's a joke. And saying you're right? a superhero now. That, that's a joke yeah. to do. And I think the difference between this and Blade, which is not a joke, which is a very serious movie, which does present Blade as this cool, ass-kicking superhero, I think the big difference is, again, you got to look at who are the surrounding characters yep. and who's behind the scenes. You know, yep. Blade is still a movie... Made by white people. A lot of white people. And it's a, it's a genre movie, really. Yeah. In a way that the Marvel superhero movies are not anymore. Right? When Marvel puts out a movie now, it gets all kinds of attention from a wide swath of the American population. And that's great. I mean, their success over the last 10 years is just unbelievable. And so that makes it automatically different from things like Blade. You know what? I've actually never seen Blade. Because I'm not that interested in vampire slasher horror movies, right? It was absolutely a genre picture. It did well commercially. It's more like a rip-off the Matrix than anything, you know? It's it's in that neo-90s rave sword aesthetic, you know? It's, It's part of that. But it doesn't really feel like his blackness is essential to who he is. And it was not must-see. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could do a survey of your friends, no matter what age you are, you, the listener to the podcast, and just find, you know, find 10 people who have seen a Blade movie. It also, might- by the way, if someone has like a big dissertation about why 
Blades Blackness is a Central Disc character, I will read it. I will give that a shot. Sure, sure. But so let's, let's it's dial... very different from a character whose name is Black Panther. And that brings us back to the beginning, all right? Yeah. So I was born in 1967, and right when I start Jeez, to... Jeez, you're old. Yeah, I'm really old. <laughs> Uh, so that means that when I finally start to buy comics for myself, right, when I'm eight, nine, ten years old, that's right when, uh, the publishers, the main publishers, Marvel and DC decide, you know what, we can't have, uh, just African-American characters on the side. We've got to figure out, uh, in the seventies, after the liberalization of the sixties and the civil rights movement, we've got to figure out a way to have main characters, right? Uh, people who can support their own book uh, in our group of characters, right? Because before that, it's just white, 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 white. So you get, unfortunately, characters with black in the name because they're not, they're still being created by white people. So they think, okay, we're going to have Black Panther and we're going to have Black Lightning. And the joke is, well, we're going to have Black Falcon. Except, no, 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 we're just going to call him the Falcon, but he's black, and he's going to be with Captain America, because that way he'll be unimpeachable, because, you know, he's with the, the most American-American character we've got, and we'll put a black guy with him in the 70s, and they'll travel the country writing social injustice. So, it was a, it was a pretty iffy effort at the beginning. It's still right? white people making entertainment, mostly for other white people. And if you go back and read the first couple of issues of Luke Cage, like Power Man. Oh Power, my God. Power Man. Sweet Christmas. Was his name, okay? And he had this big fro, and they still paired. Let's not forget he had those big, like, anklets on his wrists and, like. Yeah, like, so the whole slavery uh, thing. Ugh. So this is all, like, in the years right before yeah, Roots. Chain belt. He had a chain belt. Oh, my God, dude. Uh, You know, so they were trying, okay? They were trying really hard, but it just felt thin and forced, and it was weird. It just, ugh. Yeah. It was hard to get behind it, although everybody, you know, who was educated or progressive understood that we had to get there from where we were in the 60s, which was the Batman TV show, okay? We knew we had to get better, but it was a really painful process. Yeah, so... Black Panther. Black Panther! Is initially introduced actually as kind of an adversary, though an honorable one, for the Fantastic Four. His first introduction is that issue of the Fantastic Four, where he comes and basically like lays siege to uh, the Baxter building. Because there are plenty of people in white America who, in the late 60s, guess what? They see the Black Panther movement, the political movement, as a threat to the social order, right? I mean, the fact this is what's great about the character that they that Marvel has the guts to actually call a character straight from Africa Black Panther because that reminds everybody of the American group, you know, that was able to use violence, right? Well, I mean, they, that's that's still a thing in political races today. You know, you've got people from a certain segment of the political spectrum talking about Black Panthers lurking in the shadows to scare people at the ballot box, which I think is ridiculous. There's no evidence of that. But that name still, in the 21st century, retains kind of a boogeyman quality. Well, for a little while, they did actually rename him, just a little bit of trivia, they did rename him to Black Leopard for a little while because they, they didn't did? want, yeah, oh, they didn't want that, that connection. But readers and the creatives both hated it, so they're like, no, nah, he's just going to call himself Black Panther. And they just changed it back. 
Um, so having read those books in the 70s, I never, if you had come to me in 1978 and said, you know what, someday it's going to get, how much money did they spend on this movie? Probably, I'd say $200 million probably. <laughs> He's going to get a $200 million movie treatment that's going to place you in this science fiction, futuristic, you know, ultimate power African kingdom. You know, and, and get high-level actors like Angela Bassett. God, Angela Bassett. Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker, who's an Oscar winner. You know, Michael B. Jordan. And, and we're going to treat him like we treat Captain America. Yeah. Right? That that, that, that was going to happen in my lifetime, I never would have believed it. Yeah. I'm very happy that we've come to this moment. It's really cool. Like, and it's really cool to see him be, you know, instantly elevated to that level where he is a king he is a massive force in the marvel universe this is not going to be oh i didn't see ant-man but that's okay like, i could skip ant-man like you're gonna need to see, if you care about this marvel universe you're gonna need to see black panther because right because things it, are gonna change right because it leads right into the next marvel team blockbuster the next avengers movie is based on this movie yeah but it's been it, it's been a long path to get here you know like i grew up like just going into my lifetime I remember growing up and watching the animated series Static Shock, which was really formative to my development because I looked up to Static. Like, it didn't... To me, I have always believed the argument that representation matters, that seeing somebody who looks like you matters a lot. And I, I think, you know, obviously, the more diversity we have, the better. The more people can see themselves in these characters and, and, and take the positive influence that they are into their lives, great. But I looked up to Static, and he, he didn't look anything like me. I thought he was just cool. He was yeah. cool. He was what I wanted to be. Yeah. You know, I was, like, middle school when that was coming on. He was in high school, so that immediately makes him cool. Yeah. You know, and he had, like, I didn't want to be his white sidekick gear. I wanted to be Static. Static was cool. He had electricity powers that seemed really versatile to me. But it's also important to note that that was an animated show. So yeah. one of the ways that we get to the Black Panther movie that is so successful this weekend is there was a long time where, you know, the, the comics kind of get this started in the 70s. It's, it's problematic, but you know what? It gets us to a long storyline in the X-Men comics in the 80s where the African-American female hero, right? Storm. Storm becomes the leader of the most popular superhero team in the printed medium. Yep. Right? X-Men comics were just white hot, top of the pile in the 80s, and they made... Storm, the leader of the team, not an add-on. And so that was a landmark moment. So the comics kind of get us to the 90s, your era. Yeah. And the next step is, well, you know, we're still, we can't quite figure out how to do live action. But we're going to start making major African-American heroes in animation. Yeah. And another one of those was Cyborg. Mm -hmm. Right, you have to have the Teen Titans show in the '90s animated, which you loved, yeah. to get to Justice League, a live-action, big-budget Hollywood movie this year that has Cyborg as a vital part of the team. Yeah, because my generation grew up with Cyborg as well, and Cyborg, even though he's a crazy character that's created in the '80s, he is elevated by this animated cartoon show where he's depicted as a very important, vital member of that team. Well, it's the same arc as the Storm. Right, yeah, yeah. you you have to break the ground in the comics. We talk about this all the time. The comics are the rough draft, right? Because uh, they're cheaper to produce. You can try things because they're periodicals, right? The the issues come out once a month. So if something doesn't work, you just put it aside and try something else. So they put Cyborg uh, into the DC universe in the '80s. Then you get the comic, and uh, then you get the animated show in the '90s. 
And then you get him on the screen now yeah. in 2017. So. And it's, it's also interesting to me because with this movie coming out, a lot of people are kind of refocusing back on some of the comics that made Black Panther really a very vital powerful part of the marvel universe and a lot of people point back to christopher priest's run on the character christopher priest is an african-american man um and he was the very first person who said okay so we know t'challa is intelligent we know he is a king so why is he out here palling around with these superheroes why is he embedded in this world and not like a representative. And it's because it's revealed retroactively in Christopher Priest's run that he was basically spying on the Avengers when he was a member of them in like mm. the 80s. He wanted to see if they would become a threat to Wakanda. Ah. So it makes him into this very, very strong-willed, powerful character, but who's not just another member of the Avengers. He is somebody, a lot of people, and I think this is very reductive and I don't co-sign this, but a lot of people do simplify Black Panther's character as... He's a king who's willing to kill, and he's Batman. And I think that's reductive, but if you have to sell it in like three sentences, I think it kind of works because... Oh, I've never seen the character that way. That's simply... It's just because he's he's a plotter and he's a planner and he's, 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 he's much... I think that's just like, that's like the Cliff Notes version. The fact that he's... uh, I've always focused on the fact that he's a head of state. Yeah. Right? And the technology. The idea that instead of Africa being full of, quote-unquote, undeveloped countries or, quote-unquote, third-world countries, that somehow, you know, there is this, almost like Superman's Fortress of Solitude is really what it's like, or Shangri-La, right? That myth. That there is this land that has a mineral that allows them to do really just anything, right? It is the MacGuffin. It is, the whole country is a MacGuffin. And I think that's fantastic. And you get that in spades in this movie. Yeah. It's a vital part of this movie. It's a vital part of the character. And I'm really impressed with this movie and how it takes this idea and makes it very believable within the context of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. I think that was going to be a really difficult idea to sell people on, especially because, let's not forget if we want to talk about just the canon and the legacy of just the past 10 years, we're in the 18th Marvel movie. This is the 18th wow. Marvel movie released. Wow. They have set the rules of this world. Yep. They have defined the tone of it. They have put basically all the pieces on the board that they're going to want to play around with now for the foreseeable future. And who's been the most powerful guy up until now? Tony Stark is the guy. But now you have this country. You have... You know, he's basically black James Bond in this movie, which is really cool. Yeah, I like that. And they've got, you know, they have a character who rivals Tony Stark in their inventiveness and their intelligence. His younger sister. And in their resources. Yeah, and his resources probably exceed Tony's. You know, Tony's making one skyscraper in Manhattan and, you know... T'Challa's got a country. He's got a mountain that that has building all of this technology. Well, they show they stuff. show you the city, which you know remains hidden from the outside world. I mean, they have a very uh, developed, futuristic. I mean, the, the architecture of the capital city is really beautiful. Yeah, no, and it it's a whole bunch of skyscrapers. Yeah, right? it doesn't look <laughs> Western though. It still looks like I think that's why it's so important to have African American creative people driving this, is because. Yeah. It just brings that little extra bit of passion, you know, that extra bit of knowledge that that they clearly put so much effort into this, and it shows in every frame. You have to be impressed by it, and and it's 
beautiful to see. So this is really a great success story, and it, it took way too long, right? It took decades to get to this, but let's, I still want to keep focusing on that arc. You know what? Black Panther was created by an old white Jewish guy. Yeah, it was. Right? He was created by Jack Kirby. Jack the King Kirby. Who created a lot of fantastic stuff, but because this evolution continued, you know, we did get to, you know, the creator who... Uh, you know, like the first African-American to, write, Priest. to yeah. write the character. But you should talk about the current most interesting oh. African-American writer. Yeah, so there was this big coup back in like 2016 where the news dropped that Marvel had hired Ty Nehisi Coates to write Black Panther. Now, for those of you who don't know Ty Nehisi Coates, he is an incredibly, incredibly intelligent well, like, he, he's just, it seems like there's nothing he can't do. He's an incredible writer. And he has written, uh, there was a very famous essay he wrote, I think it was for, was it for The Verge? I'm trying to remember who it was for. But he wrote uh, The Case for Reparations. He wrote a beautiful article at the end of 2016 called My President Was Black. Just a really acclaimed essayist, brilliant writer, brilliant speaker. Uh, any of his interviews you watch, you come away with, you're like, man, that dude knows more in his pinky finger than I probably know in my head. Right, so he's like, he has had debates with Cornell West. He's clearly the next generation's Cornell West, right? He, he follows a long line of great uh, African-American thought leaders. Yeah, and they said, yeah, he's writing Black Panther. And he immediately jumps into the deep end of the pool with an arc that basically says, okay, if Wakanda's so enlightened and so advanced and so perfect why do they still have a king mm -hmm. his first arc is questioning the very idea of a black panther of a mm -hmm. you know you have all these advancements and you're so great and you're so perfect but where's the democracy where which, do the people get to have their say which is basically an african-american writer calling into question what the jewish creator created in the 60s and yeah. early 70s yeah so it's uh, his his writing for Black Panther has really propelled that title. It's gotten a bunch of spinoffs now, and it. I think even though it was you know this movie was probably already in pre production when that starts, you can see elements of that. Yes. In this, you know, yes. you can see people questioning the throne and the nature of succession and the nature of a monarch in a nation that is supposed to be so advanced and so enlightened. And okay, well, you're doing this, but the whole rest of the world is trying its best at democracy right you know why right. does this still go ahead and i think the one thing that this movie doesn't really i don't want to say because it clearly does touch on it clearly grapples with it but i don't think this movie resolves the question of okay this is why monarchy works for wakanda mm -hmm. i think that's pretty open-ended and i like that um they don't really have a good answer for okay well we still have a monarchy. There's still a line of succession, basically. <laughs> well, but, to me, the, the central, even more important than that was the question of if they have all these resources, why aren't they helping, you know, the rest of Africa or people of color in developing nations around the world, right? It's a much broader political, sociological question, yeah. uh, which is fascinating because it, that is the question. And it makes for a much better third act. I mean, again, looking at just it in the context of the other Marvel movies, I think it probably has the second best villain of the Marvel movies, and I think it has, uh, I think, one of the best third acts of any of the Marvel movies, because it's not a giant hole in the sky opens up and bad guys come out of it, which seems to happen all the time these days. <laughs> 
Instead, it's basically just a race against the clock to make sure that this really destructive arms dealing doesn't occur. Yeah. You know, is it still big? Are there still explosions? Is there still a big action scene? Yeah, but the threat is very terrestrial. The threat is very... Well, it's very human. It's very human. Yeah. The conflicts are very human. The, the drama is very human. So it'll be interesting to see Wakanda, you know, in, in Infinity War, be under attack from this totally external alien force mm-hmm. after seeing it, resu- you know, fight and... and deal with a, a very internal, very terrestrial, very human conflict. But anyway, we're getting off track from what you want to talk about, the, the canon of things. Well, I um, again, I'm just very glad that we got here. You know, again, uh, and, and you can see how it's come full circle. Like, these ideas finally break ground in the printed comics in the 70s, and now we have, you know, Coates writing a very mature and sophisticated comic story. Yeah, he's won a bunch of awards for it. Uh, but we're working now on on the different levels. But it God, it took so long to get here. I mean, we had to have things like we had to have Osmosis Jones. Oh man, I love Osmosis Jones. I love Osmosis Jones. But you know, it was not really commercially successful, right? So there's an animated movie with uh, it's kind of a cop movie. But he's clearly, you know, the star of this movie is an African American cop voiced by uh, Chris Rock, right? And it's hilarious. And very well done, but, you know, we, we we got that, and then it didn't quite go anywhere, right? And then we have, uh, what was that movie that had, um, uh, of course we have all the stuff with uh, Will Smith, which is fantastic. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting, when he tries to play a superhero, it doesn't do very well, right? I mean, he's he's great in things like Independence Day, but he's sort of playing himself, and then in the last couple of years where he's tried to be a superhero character, like people didn't want to see that. It, it feels to me like we finally got to this full flowering, this idea that you know we can have Superman on the one hand and we can have Black Panther or Cyborg on the other on an equal basis. God, that's just happened in the last couple of years. Yeah, it's a very recent cultural event. Um, About freaking time. Yeah, man. And it's just so cool to see. I mean, the other thing, another immediate piece that builds to this is the director of uh, Black Panther is Ryan Coogler and very talented director has done a bunch of stuff uh, really broke through with a film called Fruitvale Station um, but then he did Creed he did Creed which is basically yeah. Rocky uh, with a guy who's not Rocky yeah but I would even argue that you know the Rocky stories are in some ways, superhero narratives. Of course. You know? Of course And so, by making Creed, he proves on a much smaller scale that you can have a black cast and black creatives telling a superhero story, though it's for a much different budget, a much different audience. Yeah. And then to be able to go to, or Marvel come to him, I don't know who came to who, but you have that meeting of the minds where they say, okay, just go with it. You know, this does not feel like a cookie-cutter Marvel movie. You know, this doesn't feel like Thor 2, you know? No. This feels like they really let him have his stamp on it. Yes, I because would agree. Because there's not a lot of discussion about the Avengers or the Infinity Stones or, you know, this stuff no, is coming. You made a point that you can watch Black Panther, uh, which does, you know, there are pieces of this story that happen in some of the earlier Marvel movies, but you can really go and watch Black Panther without having seen you know, Civil War. Yeah, because he was first introduced in the Marvel Universe in the movies in Civil War. 
But I think this movie stands alone, and I think that's really rare for a Marvel movie, you know, now that we're 18 movies deep to yeah. stand on its own. But also and, really important for yeah. this character and yeah. what they're doing. They know. introduce all the essential pieces of Black Panther. They introduce all his supporting cast. They do it in a really, really smart way and a really funny way a lot of the time. I mean, his younger sister is a hilarious character. I mean, she's, <laughs> she was she's, one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, she's a standout part of this cast. And at the same time, I think when it tries to pay heed to some of the larger Marvel Universe, that's almost where it stumbles. You know, where hmm. uh, we were talking about how useless Martin Freeman is in this movie. Yeah, the yes. token white guy. You can, Who it's, cares? It's so funny, I though. I really have... don't need to see a token white guy in this movie. He's completely... Well, he's not completely useless, but... Boy. But even like even the problem they have him solve, yeah. you could write that problem out of the movie. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, need could. to be there. No. Mm-mm. It's not like he's closing a plot hole. No. He, you specifically chose to have him yeah. go and resolve this part of the third act. <laughs> it, he doesn't mm. need to be in there. You could have a movie where the only white guy is Andy Serkis. Claw. Claw, Doc. Claw. Oh, my God. Okay, so Claw... Uh, whatever. You I can't to, get into a monologue. You can't. No, no. Come on. We only have five minutes. So, <laughs> uh, so we've really praised this movie as the culmination of 40 years of trying to get to this moment. But you know what? Bringing up Creed, a movie I love. I think I saw it in the theaters three times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just shows you that we have to stay on it, right? Like, I think that's the lesson of the last couple of years kind of in our society and in politics is, you know, yeah, we had the civil rights movement in the 60s, but guess what? Human society is not linear, and we have to keep on it. We've people reached short memory. We have, well, and people will fight back. So it looks like here in the opening weekend of Black Panther that it's going to be this smashing success. The seats are all sold out, but we have to keep at it because... Creed was this great artistic success. It did way better than they thought it would commercially. And yet, the sequel to Creed does not have the same African-American director. It's going to be directed by... Sylvester Stallone. Oh, no! Don't let Sly direct that. He's a terrible director. He won't understand the soul of Creed. He barely understood it when it was pitched to him. Uh, he almost didn't sign on to Creed because he didn't get it. I know. Uh, he's so unhip. He's so not <laughs> hip to this. He's so not going to get it. I know. It's such just it's painful. So we have to keep fighting to go forward because, you know, we, we turn around and suddenly, you know, the old forces take a hold of the reins again. Yeah, like, you Ugh. know, now people are really pushing for a... Uh, the Marvel had a team in the comics for years called the Liberators that were a bunch of... They were women. And so people are really pushing now for a Liberators movie about... Uh, we haven't even gotten the Black Widow movie yet. Yeah, like, so... Where the hell's the Black Widow movie? Black Panther's great. We're very proud of Black Panther, but we hope this only leads to more things. Yeah. My fiercest hope, and I mean this as a compliment, is that eventually it'll be really difficult to sell my kids on the idea of Black Panther being special. That's the goal, is that, yeah, maybe it was the first one that did this, but they'll be like, oh, Dad, there are better movies that have come out that have all these same pieces, that have black creative casts and crew, and that this can be... The goal is for this stuff to become the new normal. Right, which if you look in the comics, again, this full circle point that I made a few minutes ago, that now if you walk into your average comic store, you'll see all kinds of superheroes of all kinds of ethnicities, right? I mean, you've different got... Different genders, different yeah. sexual orientations, you know... 
that's that's the goal, not to celebrate. I mean, we should celebrate the successes of things like Wonder Woman and Black Panther, but only so that we can keep making more we, of We've got to keep going, right. So I think it's really exciting that the sequel to the great Wonder Woman movie from last summer will be directed by the same woman. Oh, right? thank God. She clearly got it right. You're bringing back the core uh, actors and production people who got it right. So, yes, give them more money to get it right again. Yeah, and, and, and then go out there and find other women in the world who want to direct these you know, million dollar blockbusters, like, because they were talking about how this is one of the f- movies with a budget over a hundred million that any right. woman has ever directed. And it's well, like, it's the most commercially successful movie directed by a woman. And it's in like, history. I'm sure there are plenty of young women out there who want to direct a Star Wars movie. Get right. out there and find them. Right. They just hired the, the creatives behind uh, Game of Thrones, two really boring white dudes, to helm more Star Wars movies. Ugh. I'm not here for that. I'm, I'm done with that. Also, it's the Game of Thrones dude, and I hate those dudes. Anyway, but that's neither here nor <laughs> that's there. That's another podcast. But anyway, Black Panther was awesome. Go see Black Panther and, you know, just... Keep keep showing up for the other stuff. When other stuff comes out, yes. keep being there. You can't show up for just the one protest. you got to show up for all of them. You can't just make one big statement. you got to show up and vote as well. Which is what i got to tell you. I am fascinated as a straight white male from Generation X that that point is being made by... The people who are in college today, who are actually technically not millennials, right? We're we're you you guys are out as young adults now, right? We've got another generation coming up through the high schools and colleges, and what they're saying is, when something flares up, like I have seen on college campuses, right? When we have a big cultural or political discussion in our country, right? They they are thankful for people like me to you know be allies. I'm perfectly happy to be an ally. But then they say, the very next thing they say, I think is great, which is, okay, so where are you when the cameras are not on, right? Where are you when it's not Black Panther opening weekend? You know, where are you uh, in the everyday living? Because that's really where justice should live. Every single day, every single week, we want our society to get better, not just have these big splash moments like the opening weekend of Black Panther. And I am completely in agreement with that. Yeah. All right. I think that's pretty good, folks. Go see Black Panther. Go have some fun. This has been the Re-View Podcast. Podcast.